Let me invite you to stand as, uh, for the reading of the gospel. Our lesson for today comes from the gospel according to St. Luke, selected verses beginning with the 15th. And I invite you to listen for God's word. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. We're grateful to God for the reading from his word. Please be seated. There's an old story about a, a preacher who was quite impressed with his oratorical powers, which sometimes led him to go overboard a little bit. So it is that he stood before his congregation one day and announced to his uh, enthralled congregation, brothers and sisters, today I'm going to comprehend the incomprehensible. I'm going to describe the indescribable. I will fathom the unfathomable, and I will unscrew the unscrutable. <laughs> Just a little bit overboard. And that's what happens to us sometimes when we try to reach a little bit beyond what we really ought to be able to do. Well, I hate to say this, but today I want to talk certainly about our text, but then I hope you will indulge me in a little bit of going beyond the text. Now that you can get in trouble with that, just like the old preacher with his vocabulary. So first of all, let's listen to what this familiar lesson says. So before we go any further, you are aware that each of the four gospels begins the story of Jesus in a different place or, or three different places. Uh, Mark begins when he was ready to assume his public ministry, uh, according to the, the scripture, perhaps being about 30 years old, just right into this story and, and beyond. John begins with the creation of the world. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Matthew and Luke have stories about Jesus' uh, birth, the preparation for his birth uh, the aftermath of his birth, and in Luke's case, one story from the time that he was uh, 12 years old. But then, after these beloved stories in Matthew and Luke, like, like as with, with Mark, we have the story of John the Baptist, who was obviously a very important figure in first century uh, Judaism. Every gospel sees him as a forerunner to Jesus. And there are vestiges of that insight even in Acts, as they refer to uh, people still following uh, John's baptism. So we have two sections in this lesson that we've read today. 15 to 17 is the transition 
from John to Jesus, so to speak, from the opening act to the main event. And it shows uh, John pointing to Jesus and referring his disciples and all who listened to him to the one who would come after him. Notice the, the reference, uh, I am not even worthy to, uh, to untie his sandal. Now, apparently in those days, to untie the sandal of a, of a teacher was a very menial task. Even a disciple of that teacher would not do that, but only a slave. And, and John says that's how much greater he is. So then we have the story uh, uh, continuing, and here are the key elements of the baptism itself. One is the opening of the heavens. In the story of Elijah, in the Old Testament, the heavens were closed. And when they were shut up, the rain stopped and, and uh, starvation set in. On the other hand, when the heavens were opened, blessings flowed down and life was restored. So Luke is wanting to tell you that there is a special blessing coming from heaven in the presence of this one man who probably was rather unnoticed and rather anonymous among the crowds of people coming to the Jordan to be baptized. The second element is the descent of the spirit in the form of a dove. Was there a Holy Spirit before Pentecost? Yes, there was. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, of, of God's Spirit. But the, 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 the event is always rather uh, random or, or sudden. And the Spirit comes upon someone, uh, takes control of his, of his mind and heart, soul and, and speech, most often we read about it inspiring a prophet to, to pro, a prophetic utterance. And then the spirit is gone. What we have here for Jesus and in Pentecost, we believe for, for all God's people, is the coming of the spirit to reside with us and to rest upon us. God's presence rested on Jesus, Luke is saying. And then there is the voice. In, in Luke and in, in Mark, it is in the second person, you are my beloved son. Matthew, I believe, says he is in the third person. But here, here we're in Luke, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. In the next few centuries, the ancient church would use the best tools of ancient philosophy to try to understand who Jesus was. We see the, the, the result of that when we, when we turn over to the Nicene Creed, very God of very God, begotten, uh, 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 not made, being of one substance with the Father. All these terms which seem so strange to us in the 21st century come from, from that ancient philosophy which they used to try to understand the nature of who Jesus was. Luke, however, does not go into the uh, realm of philosophy here, but rather into the language of family relationships. You are my son. It is a term of acceptance. It is, a, it is the language of love. Luke's purpose in telling this story is to convince others 
to believe that this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. Believe in him. Because he would say, without that, nothing else matters. Well, that's the text. That's, that's the best job I can do running through it. And if you're not interested in going with me down a little crooked path, we'll just tune out. And uh, no, as, as Creed said, you can't hit the pause button if you're here in, in the sanctuary. But, uh, but, but do the best you can and let's, let's walk down this road. Here's the fact. The Gospels are not modern biographies. When we read a modern biography, we want to know not just what somebody did. We want to know why they did it, what their dream was, what their motivation was. Um, I, I, I like reading biographies. Um, sometimes I wish that they didn't tell me quite as much about the person, you know, so, some of these eight and nine hundred page biographies, I think yeah, I didn't know, need to know about four hundred pages of that. I would, I would have been happy with, with half that length. Uh, but but they, they want to know everything about it and help us to understand the mind and, and, and motivation of the subject. The Gospels are not like that. They want to tell you what Jesus said and what other people said and what they did. Psychology that is open to new world to us was not relevant to those who, who wrote that because they knew that to tell what they said, what they did was enough to lead to belief. But I've always wondered about some of the things that the gospels don't tell us. Haven't you? Haven't you been curious about those 30 years that they tell us intervened between the, the birth of Jesus and the time he stepped forward into, into public life. Haven't you wondered, uh, besides that one snapshot we have of, of him in the temple at 12, haven't you wondered what he was thinking, what he knew about himself, what he thought about himself, what he dreamed for his life? At what point did he say, I don't believe I'm destined to be a carpenter here in Nazareth? Have you ever wondered about that? I, now, now I, I, I want to be careful. It's, it's dangerous to be dogmatic about things that the Bible doesn't pay any attention to. But like Jesus, we have been baptized. So what does it say about us? One man said, I don't believe that Luke wanted to tell us what happened to Jesus. But more than, as beyond that, he wanted us he wanted to tell us something about what our baptism means to us, what our calling means to us. God has spoken to us. He has not said to us exactly what he said to Jesus, but he has given us his blessing. Who are we? Who are we in God's eyes? And thus, who are we truly? And what are we to do as God's people? Hendrik Kramer was a noted scholar at the time that the Nazis took over his home country of the Netherlands. The leaders of the church wrote Hendrik Kramer, who was living in some sort of exile, and described the, the changes that the Nazis were forcing upon them. And they said, we need guidance. Tell us 
You are a scholar. We respect your spiritual insight. Tell us what to do. And Kramer wrote to his home country. He, he read, he, apart from First uh, Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And then he said, if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. This moment that Luke tells us about in this third chapter is a moment when Jesus certainly knew who he was. It is the language of the family. And the family language is crucial in our, in our development as, as Christians, as people of faith, but simply as human beings. The, what the family tells us is, is so very, very important. This week, perhaps you saw some of the news of, of the, um, the funeral for Senator Johnny Isaacson uh, at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church in Atlanta. Uh, I met Senator Isaacson one time. It was when we were hosting the Cherry Blossom Worship Service out at Vineville, and he was in the assembled multitude there that day. All the dignitaries uh, went down to the Christian Life Center to have uh, a lunch afterward. Uh, I went home, uh, but they, they had a, a good meal. And, and the next morning, I read that Senator Isaacson was in the hospital. Can you imagine what, it, what, you, what you think? Oh gosh, did, did he get food poisoning at my church? Well, no, it, it, was, it was something else. And Bill Stembridge has, has assured me of that. He remembers the, the event as well. Senator Isaacson was obviously a, a wonderful man. But the words I want to call attention to are words not from the Senate Majority Leader, not even from the uh, pastor of that congregation, but from Senator Isaacson's son, who talked about with everything that his father did and all the responsibilities he had, he said, he gave me the gift of his time. The gift of a father to a son is a precious gift. And so as the, the word, but the word from any trusted person is powerful. You have the opportunity to bestow a wonderful gift on, on other people, whether they are biologically related to you or not. And the good news from Luke 3 is the word is not for Jesus only, but for us as well. You are God's child. You are beloved. Some years ago, in a retreat setting for persons coming into ordained ministry down at Epworth by the Sea. I had the privilege of hearing some a presentation by Wright Culpepper. Some you no doubt remember his son Bill who was on staff here for a while. Many of you have probably met Wright or other members of, of the Culpepper family. Wright spoke to these would-be uh, ministers about his experience. Uh, Wright is a member of the South Georgia Conference. He has found his own places of ministry all over Glynn County, uh, offering chaplaincy services to the rich and powerful out of the Sea Island Company, and, but also as a hospital chaplain at the hospital there, uh, and as he says, in the bushes of Brunswick, uh, a whole variety. One day he said he was 
what he was going to speak to a, 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 a mental health uh, meeting, a, a men, people struggling with mental health issues. As he came into the room and passed the, the group, he heard a voice say, that's my pastor. Now, folks, that's my pastor is a powerful word. When, when I left here, still in my 20s, and was appointed to three churches out in Wilkinson County, when church members of mine who, who, were three who had three times as many years and 30 times as much life experience as I did, would introduce me to their friends and say, this is my pastor. That is a rich, rich blessing and gift, not easily bestowed and greatly treasured. But his right turned, he did not recognize the person who had said those words. Until finally with that, that blessed, you know, when you, when you get an extra five seconds to think and finally it comes clear, he remembered seeing her. He had visited her in the emergency room at the, the what is it, Southeast Georgia Regional Hospital. He, then he had visited her as, a, as an inpatient. Those contacts had been enough for him to, for her to look at him and say, that's my pastor. Because he had brought something to her life. He said he would go out in the areas where the homeless were hanging out. People had come and brought Bibles there, wondering if anybody would read them. He said those Bibles had been opened. Those Bibles had been read. He said when, I, when he spoke to, to the people among the, uh, in the mental health clinic, and he read stories that said, you are my child, you are beloved. He said, I read that with church people. And they, and they smile and say, yeah, so it is. Because they've heard that story before. They know it to be true. He said, but when I read it to the mental health patients, they cheered. Because they had not been told that. They had not realized that the favor of God did not rest only upon a few people in important places. But the favor of God went to the Jordan, went to the Altamaha, goes to the Altamogi, and goes all across Macon, Georgia. I've heard people say, and this is one of the saddest experiences of, of my pastorate, I've heard people say to me, God cannot forgive me. What, what do you mean God cannot? Don't you believe that God can? Oh, yeah, I believe that God can forgive us, but he can't forgive me. It's really almost heretical. It sounds so holy. I'm too good to need God to, to uh, you know, I, I can't be forgiven. And I, and I remember what that scholar said, said about this passage. That when Luke tells this story, he's not just telling us about what happened to Jesus once upon a time. He's telling us how God speaks to us today. You are God's child. You are beloved of the Father. Jesus may be your older brother in faith, but you are God's child, beloved of him. If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. 
That's a powerful insight, but it doesn't exactly answer every question. T.S. Eliot wrote, between the idea and the reality, behind the act, behind, behind, between the motion and the act lies the shadow. And Jesus would experience the shadow. He had this moment, but then there was the temptation, there was the opposition, there was the trial, there was all the rest of the story that, as Bonhoeffer said, sums up, that means his life is summed up in the Apostles' Creed by the single word suffered. But for all the shadow that Jesus went through, he had this experience of God's voice speaking to him and the confidence of that baptism propelled him through. You have been told you are beloved of God and most of us have of an idea in our heads that that might be true. Oh Lord, let it be real in our heart and soul as well. In baptism, Jesus was not only blessed by God, he was commissioned by God. And most of us have an idea that there is something that God wants for us to do. In fact, the truth is, I believe that most of us have a clearer idea of what we are called to do than we really are interested in going out and pursuing. Dear Lord, let it live not only in our heads and in our minds, but in our hearts and in our steps and in our hands as well. Brothers and sisters, if if you were convinced that the Holy Spirit was empowering you, what would you do? You are loved by God. Live for him.